Good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. Great to see everybody. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. You can go ahead and turn there. This past week, something just beautiful happened. I want to share that with you. Uh, my, my nephew, Stephen Qualls, is a freshman at Gardner-Webb University. His dad is a president of Christian Adoption Services, and it's a, a, a ministry that we as a church sponsor. Five, I think five or six kids have been adopted through CAS from our church, our church alone. And so uh, there was a banquet in Boiling Springs, South Carolina, which is about 30 miles from Boiling Springs, North Carolina. So they're in North Carolina at Gardner-Webb University, and they're going about 30, 35 minutes away to Boiling Springs, South Carolina for a banquet fundraiser. And during the banquet, uh, Stephen showed up at the banquet with uh, a girl that was a friend of his. I said girl that was a friend of his. That's important, the way to, the way to say that. They went to the banquet, surprised Kim, his mom, at the banquet. They went and sat down. And uh, during the presentation of the banquet, there was a birth mom who stood up who talked about moving from San Francisco, California, over to this area, how God put all these pieces together as she decided to place her child up for adoption. In the process of sharing that, she talked about how she became a follower of Jesus in her testimony. My brother-in-law, Kevin, said it was one of the most powerful demonstrations I've ever heard of the gospel in my life, Matt. It was so powerful. Stephen, on the way back to Gardner-Webb, noticed that Taylor was really quiet and said, Taylor, what's, what's wrong? And she says, tonight has just overwhelmed me. My, my heart is really heavy. It's like beating out of my chest. I feel like God is saying something to me. And Stephen said, well, do do you know what it means to be a Christian? And she said, no, I don't, but I feel like I do. And Stephen pulled off on the side of the road in between Boiling Springs and Boiling Springs. Pulled off on the side of the road, shared the gospel with Taylor, and Taylor on the side of the road gave her life to Jesus. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, Stephen comes to my house on Thursday and he says, Uncle Matt, I need to talk to you about something. He sits down at the dinner table on the other side of the table. It's about 11.30 at night, kitchen table. I was reviewing for my message. And he sits there and he says, okay, okay. I know you've heard the story, but I want you to hear it from me. And he goes through and walks through everything that God had done to take Taylor from being in darkness to being in the light. And for what it did for Stephen. And as I was studying the text this week, I was been, I've been overwhelmed by verse 12 of chapter 2, and I'm going to read that for you. We're going to go 8 to 23 this morning, but verse 12 has been so profound to me this week. Verse 12 says this, raised with him through faith, listen, in the powerful working of God. And I looked at Stephen and I said, Stephen, you have just seen the powerful working of God. You've seen some girl come under conviction of the spirit of the living God. You've seen her, seen her recognize that she's a sinner, that she needs to be saved, and that she can be saved. And, she pulled, and he pulled off the side of the road, and he got to witness that. One of the greatest things that I was able to see personally is, is what it did to Stephen. I'm going to tell you something. It messed him up. Because that's what the power of the living God does. And my hope for us through the book of Colossians and for the rest of our lives is that we would place ourselves in positions where we are witnessing and seeing the powerful work of God. That we would see it 
that we would watch it, that we would be aware of it, that we would live in such a way that we are like, you will not believe what God did today. I want to live in that sphere, don't you? I want to live in that place. It's so fun to be able to, to see that. I think over the last several weeks, we've been in Colossians, and we have learned the Apostle Paul, who is in house arrest, so house arrest, we've said prison, we've said house arrest, basically, um, it's the same thing, it, it, there's a little bit of a difference right there, house arrest, he can have people come in and see him, and he's sitting there, he's not, he's bound, but he's in the, he's in his house, he's guarded, he's able to write letters, he's able to have visitors, and so we know that Paul has been thankful for the Colossians and their love for other people and their, their faithfulness to the gospel. We know that Paul is praying on their behalf that they would be who they would be and who they can be. He was praying that they would understand the preeminence of Jesus in all things. And then he was praying. Last week we talked about that he was really, really uh, trying to communicate to them and show them that he toils and wrestles and struggles with them because he wants them to know who Christ is. And he wants them to understand the supremacy of Christ. And in Colossians 1.28, I love this verse. It's him we proclaim so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That, that is a goal that we have here at Northwest is that we would present, we would teach and we would, we would rebuke and we would teach and we would sit there and stand up and that we would be able to present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul has that aim for the Colossian believers and I believe that that's what God's aim is for us as well. Colossians 1, 8 through 23, basically has a lot of information in it. I have broken it down into five different sections. What I'm asking you to do is to not remember those sections, but I do have it listed on the screen for you. The one thing that I want you to remember today, it's a big idea, it's one point. I want you to remember this, is that Jesus is superior to all things, so therefore, be captured by him. Plain and simple, that's the one thing that I want us to learn and summarize today, that Jesus is superior to all things, so let us be captured by him. Now I do have delineations and bro broken down the sections of the text so that we can really understand it better, but that is the one point that I want you to be captivated to, be, to remember today. And so let's basically go ahead and jump in to verse 8 of chapter two. Um, we have learned so much about what, what Paul is wanting for this, this church. He does not know them, he's not seen them, he knows of them, but he has not been around them. We've talked about that several times. And then he continues in verse, uh, in verse eight of chapter two, and he really just breaks it down. So let's, the first section is, in, is one verse, and it's, it's titled, Captured by Christ, is what I have written this, or or labeled this section, captured by Christ. Verse eight, let's break this apart together. Verse eight says this, see to it. I know we're gonna stop really quick right there. That's a warning. He is saying to you right now that you need to be on guard. You need to be aware. There will be things that will come against what I'm teaching you about. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That will be attacked. People will try to add to it, thereby subtracting from it. He's saying, see to it, be aware, see to it, be alert. And then he says, see to it, that no one takes you captive. That word captive is, 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 is basically meaning carried away. Okay, it means carried away. 
The Greek word here is carried away like a pirate's booty. So here's what happens is, the, the basically the idea is coming, coming about that the enemy is coming into your life that is watering down the gospel, that is giving contradicting beliefs about the gospel, that Jesus plus nothing is equals everything. And what they are doing is they are robbing, they're holding you captive from that. So you are, the, you are conquered by the pirate, so to speak, because of being captive by them. So he says, see to it that no one captures you or takes you captive. And then he goes on and he says, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul was referencing some very specific beliefs that they were holding on to, those from outside the church and even possible some from inside the church, that again were taking away from the message. There were these philosophies that were at war with the beautiful message of the gospel. And he's saying, I don't want you to be held captive by those philosophies. Why? Because they are empty. They are deceitful. They bring you away and they leave you wanting for more. They are incomplete. They are not enough. Christ is enough. I don't want you to be drugged by those things. Yesterday, my, my, I took my kids to a, to a concert, and afterwards you could meet the people at the concert. While we were standing in line, there was a guy in front of me, and um, I saw uh, this right here. I'm diabetic, and so this is the, basically part of the insulin pump that I have. And this guy in front of me, he, he had one of these right here, and I said, hey, how long have you been a diabetic? He looked at me, and he goes, 39 years. And I said, 35 so we're sitting in line trying to get into this little Lincoln Theater in downtown Raleigh. And so we start talking a little bit, and then all of a sudden the concert gets going, and the kids need to be up front to see everything, and they're asking the parents to be in the back up against this wall. So this is the Lincoln Theater, and just think of just a really old bar. That's basically what it is. It's downtown Raleigh on Cabrera Street. And so I'm next to the sound system, and I'm back here so that nobody, everybody can stand in front and see. And this, this guy who was standing in line, he stands right next to me at the concert. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we're chatting it up a little bit and talking about blood sugar and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, carbs and, carb and all this kind of diabetic lingo. And then finally he just goes, um, uh, I said, you know, when I preach, my blood sugar goes crazy. It goes super high. It's like adrenaline. He goes, yeah. Then he goes, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I went, oh my gosh, I think I need to tell my, my sermon. And so I look at him and he goes like this. And so right there and then sitting on this bar stool, okay, and I'm looking at him and I'm going, well, here's what I'm going to teach about. I'm going to tell everything that you need to be captured by Christ, that, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And he goes, so how'd you believe that? And why do you believe that? I was like, uh-oh, there's a fight coming. <laughs> and there, all of a sudden, there was this, massive just talk about going back and forth and there was a little bit of a debate happening right at that moment and he said i just want to let you know that this is what i believe nobody tells me what to believe i do my own thing i said how did you get to that place i think it's a great question to ask when you how did you get there because i didn't arrive there i arrived at somewhere really different but how did you get there we talked we shared he shared what he believed. I shared what I believed. God bless you, man. 
And then we left. But here, here's, what, here's what Paul is recognizing right now. That there are philosophies that are in the world that are taking us away from the gospel. And Paul is sitting here saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Listen, I don't want anything to hold you captive but Christ and him alone. That's what I want. And I'm toiling against this. And I'm struggling against this. Because this is what I want. Because anything else leaves you incomplete and empty and wanting a whole lot more. And he's saying, I need you to have him. I want you to have him. So see to it that you guard yourself and that you not be captivated by these things. That's what he's trying to communicate there. Here's a quote for you. It is in him and him alone that the quest of philosophy can be fulfilled for he is the revelation of God. Not some theory about God. He is the architect, creator, possessor, and sustainer of the world. And so the only one that can explain it and its purpose. He is the redeemer, the reconciler of man of, to God. So only he can give real meaning to human life. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There is no deception in him. He is the substance, not the shadow. That's who we get to talk about every single day of our lives. That right now is who we get to place ourselves in so that we might be able to see the great power of the living God, as said in verse 12. I want us to rest in that. So he's coming here and he's saying, hey, listen, don't be held captive by these things. Jesus is superior to all things. So be captured by him. That's our big idea. The, the second part he goes into, so he says, don't be captured by anything. And then he goes back into 9 through 15, which is very similar to Colossians 1, 15 through 23, that David taught us, not King David. This is David, our staff member, taught Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And so here we are, we come back and we say, what does he want us to see? The supremacy of the living Christ. Supremacy of living in Christ. And he talks about this. For he says, for in him, this is verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This verse is a declaration to who Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. Dwell means to settle down and be at home. This statement blows away the view of the time and the culture that says that matter was evil and that God would never take on humanity because matter was evil. And that that's not possible. That's not what God would do. So here's what we see. Here we see. The one who took upon himself human nature at Bethlehem will keep the humanity for all eternity. For he will forever be the God-man. And here's what we see. He's talking about Jesus, superior to all things, so be captivated by him. He is saying very clearly, he is the fullness of deity, dwells in him. Jesus is God in the flesh. That was a belief that was so much at war. That was a philosophy that was bringing people away. And he's saying, don't get captivated by that. Don't be drawn away by that. It is empty deceit. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. And so Jesus is over the angelic beings and the realm. Jesus is superior to any philosophy or religious system by virtue of his nature, by, by his followers, his work and his followers, and his position. It's because Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Jesus changes people's lives. Taylor and Stephen are an example of that this week. And by his nature, 
He is fully man and fully God. He is without sin. And that's who we serve. So he comes down and he says, that's who it is. The supremacy of living in him. This is who we serve. Let's keep going to the next verse right now. This is verse 11. Verse 11 says this. In him also were you circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so you have to understand the audience that he is referring to right now. The Jewish audience. They understand the physical circumcision that was a sign of the covenant that was instituted by Abraham and his descendants. Every male in the household, including servants, were to be circumcised with additional instructions given concerning who God was. And so here's what's taking place right now. He uses this word circumcision to get their attention to realize that the essence or the meaning behind circumcision is that there is a change that God wants us to have in our lives. All the rituals, see here's what was taking place. In this time, the ritual was, was more important than the meaning. And so Paul comes in and uses this ritual or these words and he gives it a new definition because of the new covenant and because Jesus was died, was buried, and rose again. And he, Christ, redefined what this circumcision meant. It's the presence of the living God. And he says he comes in and he changes your heart. So this is what he did. In him, we have this change that happens within our hearts that he does. And so that's so overwhelming to the Jewish followers because they, in essence, were saying that it's Jesus plus circumcision and these food restrictions and these laws that equals everything. We've been talking about that for a long time. And, and he comes back and he's saying, hey, I want to demonstrate to you, this is what Christ is doing in your life. This is what he can do in your life. He is changing your life. He's changing your heart. To not be focused on yourself, but to be changed positionally and changed practically. And it's only through him that this is done. This is really the error of Galatians or what was talked about in Galatians. The um, Gentiles were trying to become Christians, and the Jewish Christians at the time were saying, yes, you need to have Jesus, but yes, you need to do this. And Paul, this, this group was also coming into the area of the churches of, Coloss of Colossae. And Paul is coming in, and he's trying to instruct them and help them to understand that, listen, it's Jesus and it's him. He is superior to all things, so be captured by him. Be held captive by him. Verse 12. Verse 12 is beautiful. This is where we've already talked. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, it appears that part of the empty and vain philosophy that was being taught, including a significance given to the ritual of baptism, that if you want to add to it, you're adding to salvation by you're adding to baptism. But what baptism is, is an outward expression of an inward change. Baptism is basically demonstrating that we have been buried with Christ. When he died, we died. Those of us that have accepted him. And when he came out of the grave, guess what? We came too. That we're able to walk in the newness of life. That's what baptism is declaring. 
And what they're saying is the ritual of baptism is the method of godliness or the mode of godliness. And Paul is saying, no, 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 you're missing that right there. I don't want you to be captive by it. I want you to be deceived by that. Because that is empty for you to believe that just to be baptized means that you are godly. You need to understand the meaning behind this. The meaning behind this is that Christ died and so did you. Christ was raised and so are you. And now you can walk in the fullness of who he is and so can we. That's, that's what he's trying to explain here. Let's get away from the ritual, circumcision, baptism. Get away from these, these, these rituals and really understand the beauty that we have in him. In verse 13 and 14, I hope, I hope that you have been in these two verses all week. I mean, this, holy cow, I'm gonna try to say it without crying. Here it comes, verse 13. And you were, folks, Northwest, what is that saying? What is that saying? It's past tense. It's qualified, delivered, redeemed. Qualified, delivered, and redeemed. It's past tense. And you were, past tense, dead, not broken, but dead. In your trespasses, those are our sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you're not changed. But God made alive together with him, having forgiven, what does it say it? Forgiven what? All our transgressions, no philosophy or religious system can overcome it. Only God can overcome that. Only God can overcome it. And then verse 14, oh my gosh, here it comes. The canceling of the, the canceling, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. And so the picture here is of a Roman execution by crucifixion. And what the Romans would do is they would read what the charges are that are against you. They would place those on the cross and you would be executed as a criminal. Think of Pontius Pilate, what he wrote above the cross with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews, because that's who he said that he was. He's the Messiah. So they put this up on the cross and they crucified him. And so this was the charge against him. And Paul is giving us a picture here in the court orders, that all of the charges that are against you and I, every single one of those charges that are against you and I have been nailed to the cross and paid for in full. And he's saying, don't get over that. Every single one of them, our idolatry, our blasphemy, our pride, dishonoring our parents, murder in our hearts, hatred, adultery, immorality, debauchery, drunkenness, theft, lying, coveting, envy, greed, and name some more. All of those have been forgiven and nailed to the cross when Jesus went to it. What philosophy or religious system offers that or can even compare to it? There is none. There is none. Verse 15, here's what he did. This is what Jesus did. This is living life in him. He says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus going to the cross, going to the grave, rising from the grave, seated at the right hand of God, shouts, it is finished, and I am better than you on your best day. That's what he's saying right there. He disarmed the rulers. So all the rulers and all the authorities and all those kinds of things, he's talking about angels and different things like that. On your best day, I am better. I'm gonna just flip over to Psalm 115, four through 11. And I'm going to read this. I'm going to preach this on January the 5th. 
but I'm going to read it to you just right now because it stands out so beautifully. Here's what it says. Psalm 115, 4 through 11. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. That's what he's declaring right there. Is he saying there is no one that is like him. He disarmed the rulers. He disarmed our other gods we put our faith in. The next section here, verse 16 and 17, talks about that the supremacy of Christ to legalism. The supremacy of Christ to legalism. Um, let's read this and we'll talk two things. There's really two theories that have come into the church that are really dangerous. Um, there's legalism on one side and there's licentiousness on the other. And so here's, here's what it says in verse 16. Therefore, because of all that we just read, because of all we've just talked about who Christ is, life in him, what does it say? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So here's what it says. Therefore, no, let no one pass judgment on you in regards to food or drink. And with us in the church, we have created a little bit of a standard of, in, in some regards, legal, legalism. So legalism focuses on keeping the law as a means to godliness. As a means to godliness. Why licentiousness is basically, you know what? I, I'm okay. I can do what I want to. I have a relationship with God. And I can do what I want to do. And so we have two extreme views right now. Licentious, licentiousness basically is the belief system and the philosophy that's in the time of Colossae. They have this belief that basically spiritual life and pragmatic life are completely separate. Spiritual life is over here and whatever I do, it doesn't matter what I do. These two are separate. There's a dichotomy between the both, between them. And so therefore, what was happening right now is that the believers at the time were enjoying their freedom to excess. There was freedom to do anything that they wanted to do. Now what happens is, we look at the book of Corinthians and we see the problem that happened in the book of Corinthians. To Corinthianize, or Corinth, means corrupt. Paul writes them, how many letters? We've shared this before. He writes them two letters because they are really, really out of balance. They got really prideful, they got really arrogant, they got overwhelmed because they were saying, look at our gifts and look at this and look at what we can do and look at what we can do and all of these things that are going on. Well, Paul is sitting there saying, you know what, I need to explain to you what your gifts are used for. I need to help you to understand the role of love. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 11, 12, 13, and 14. And he tries to put that in the right place, in the right balance, saying you are taking this to a drastic extreme to sit there and say, that your actions and your spiritual life are disconnected. Yes, we are free in Christ, but we must continue to honor who he is. And Paul is saying, there's the other side of that, there's legalism. Legalism is the opposite of license. It basically is saying there is a strict code of conduct determined by men instead of God. Now, I, I will say this right now. 
whether I knew this or not, but I, I just, I grew up that if you drank alcohol, you were less of a Christian than anybody else who did. I can definitely tell you that that's not in the scriptures. The scriptures is very clear that there is, an, there is the sin of drunkenness is what is, is referred to. I personally do not drink because I equate alcohol with cottage cheese. I hate cottage cheese. Some of you are like, you haven't drank the right thing yet. There's a good IPA and there's wine that's out of a bottle and not out of a box. You haven't drank it. But I just want you to know something right now. I just don't like it. It's like cottage cheese to me. That some of you are like, oh, really? But here's what I'm trying to say right now. Legalism is a strict code of conduct determined by men instead of God. And what was happening in this area right now is that they were saying, hey, you must be baptized in order for you to be saved. You must not eat this kind of food in order to be saved. So these were measures, these were measures that determined your godliness. They were measures that really, in essence, determined your salvation. Paul is coming here right now, and he's basically saying there is legalism and there is licentiousness, and you need to be careful of both of those things. And I would say us as a church, we need to be careful with both of those extremes more today than ever before. Yes, God says we are free, and we are free indeed in him. God says all things are clean, but not all things are permissible. We certainly don't want people to stumble. We want to encourage people. We want to help them to understand the beauty of the power of the living God. And don't want anything to get in the way of that. And so let us as a church recognize that, that Jesus spoke strongly to the Pharisees who were saying, I'm going to go pray outside. I'm first going to blow the trumpet, gather everybody in so they can hear me pray. Matthew 23. And what did he say to him? Seven times he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. There was a rebuke of them for this legalism and proud and haughty belief. So Paul is, is saying, hey, we're, we understand that we are free in Christ. Let's not abuse that freedom. Let's not be legalistic and cause theirs to be rules that the scripture does not teach. Any Verse 18, the next section is called the supremacy of Christ to asceticism and mysticism. I'm going to summarize that and change it to one word, angels. <laughs> okay, just put angels there. Let's, let's first look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Asceticism is the doctrine that a person can attain a high spiritual and moral state by practicing self-denial, self-mortification, and the like. It is a rigorous self-denial, extreme abstinence, austerity. Some of the false teachers held, therefore, man being material cannot directly approach God who is spirit. They taught to reach God, you had to go through the intermediaries, basically angels. That they were lower than God, but they were higher than man. And so that's what, he, that's what was being taught. That was a philosophy that was being taught at this time. And he's saying, don't be deceived, don't be captivated by them. This is how they viewed angels. So it is also why they taught against Jesus being both fully God and fully man. And so Paul is coming here and he's saying, 
the worship of angels or anything other than God himself is a heretical idea that is in direct contradiction to God's commands to worship him and worship him only. Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. That's what he's saying here is that Jesus is superior in all things, so be captured by him. The last three verses right here is this. The supremacy of Christ to religion. Verse 20 says, if you with Christ... You died in the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings. What is going on right now is he's saying, why are you going back to these rituals? Why are you going back to these rituals and trying to use them to define what Christ has already said? You've been delivered by, you've been qualified, you've been transformed, and you've been redeemed. Why are you going back? That's basically also talked about in Galatians chapter 4. Why are you looking back? Don't go back, go forward. This is where I want you to go. So he asks a rhetorical question. If Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, you died to these rituals. You understand that Christ has set you free. You understand that it is him and him alone that allows us to know him, experience him, follow him, and sit in the power of his being. So he says, don't handle him, don't taste, don't touch. And then in verse 23, go down to verse 3. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and teaching. They look good? Am I sound good? These indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Oh, here, here, don't miss this. Just circle that word, that conjunction. But right there, there it is. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what does Galatians teach us to do? I want you to walk by the spirit and not by flesh. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. That's the way the Lord wants us to live and walk. He wants us to live and walk in that lane. And so he's saying right now, why are you going back to live according to the flesh? Don't do that. So he's made his point in the first two chapters of Colossians. Jesus is superior to religions, to all religions. Man strives by various means and methods to achieve spirituality, peace, piety, but no works or effort by man can achieve this. It is him and him alone. We sang this this morning. I'm going to, I actually like, like you took a picture of the screen. I see a lot of you doing that sometimes. And here's what it says. Hallelujah, it is finished. Hallelujah, it is done. Hallelujah, king forever. And we thank you for the cross. We declared that this morning. This text, all of these verses, is simply screaming to us that Jesus is superior to all things, so be captured by him. Why? Because there was no one like him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 1 Corinthians 5, 21, we are a new creation, created in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's do just that and walk in those good works that he prepared for us to do. Why? For the fame of his great name. Because Jesus is superior to all things. Let's be captured by him. Amen? Love you guys. Let's pray.
Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done. Lord, I thank you for chapter two that just screams that you are superior. We know that Colossians is telling us that Jesus is supreme. We know that in chapter two that you are superior to all of those things that we listed. So Lord, help us by the grace that is in you, the grace that you have, help us to live like we believe that. Help us to understand the, the freedom that we have in you, but help us not to be legalistic or over, over, be overcome with the freedom or take advantage of the freedoms that we have. We love you, God. We thank you that you are superior in all ways. We sing to you today because you are superior. We love you. Help us to follow you and help us to put ourselves in places where we might see the power of the living God. And God, I beg you to use your word to change us, to be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.